The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. Right then, Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go ahead to the other side of the lake while he dismissed the crowds. When he sent them away, he went up onto a mountain by himself to pray. Evening came and he was alone. Meanwhile, the boat, fighting a strong headwind, was being battered by the waves and was already far away from land. Very early in the morning, he came to his disciples walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. They were so frightened, they screamed. Just then, Jesus spoke to them. Be encouraged. It's me. Don't be afraid. Peter replied, Lord, if it's you, order me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. Then Peter got out of the boat and was walking on the water toward Jesus. But when Peter saw the strong wind, he became frightened. As he began to sink, he shouted, Lord, rescue me. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him, saying, You man of weak faith, why did you begin to have doubts? When they got into the boat, the wind settled down. Then those in the boat worshipped Jesus and said, You must be the Son of God. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for the opportunity to come together to reflect on what it is that you might be doing within us or through us, what it is that you might want to be saying to us today. And so as we gather together, um, we ask that you would clear away the things that clutter our hearts and our minds so that we might be fully present, um, whether it's uh, here in body and mind or online in body and mind, um, so that you might do the work that only you can do within us. Um, for the sake of your bigger vision of wholeness of life for all in the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. My name is Emily McGinley, and I have the great joy of serving as your senior pastor and in ministry alongside many of the folks that you have already seen up here and many people that you don't often see uh, but help us do what we do and be who we are. Uh, If you talk about me, you can use the pronouns she, her, and hers. Now, if you're familiar with uh, chapter, Matthew, chapter 14 of, of Matthew, which a portion of which was read, um, which I know you all have memorized by heart, um, you would recall that just before this passage is a perhaps even more well-known story, one which is often called the feeding of the 5,000, although it was probably more like the feeding of the 10,000 because that number didn't count women and children. In it, there are a bunch of hangry people um, gathered together at what one might think of today as the hardly strictly of theology. A gathering of crunchy people at the Central Park featuring a mishmash of teachings loosely based on the Torah, but clear in its overall purpose, to draw unlikely but earnest people together around a common desire 
which is to glimpse a world that was less cynical, more sincere, and deeply engaged in something beyond this present moment. During this event, which shockingly no one seemed to have uh, thought to pack snacks for, everyone is getting hangry, and the only person who has anything to share is a tween with a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread. And with these humble offerings, somehow everyone gets what they need, including leftovers for work the next day. It is a miracle of feeding or a miracle of sharing, depending on which theologian you're consulting. But in either case, it's a miracle. And so you wouldn't be totally in the wrong to give Peter at least a tiny bit of side-eye for crumbling so quickly and easily at the first sign of unfavorable circumstances, right on the heels of such an undeniable display of God's provision. But ain't that the way, right? Just after things go extremely right, they somehow go incredibly wrong. Just as you're starting to kind of, you know, feel yourself, something comes up and just sucks the wind out of your sails. Now for Peter, this is one of those moments. And if you know Peter, you know that it doesn't take much to get him walking around like he's got diamonds in his pockets, right? Boldness and swagger has caught him up more than once in the course of his time with Jesus. For Peter, though, my sense is that every time he shows up with big words and big confidence, he actually means it with all his sincerity. It's just that, well, when things get tough, it often seems like he's the one that's struggling to meet the moment. And our passage for today is no exception. Now, the story of Jesus walking on the water shows up in actually three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John. But this is the only version of it where Peter walks on water. And that means something. The author of Matthew is careful to point out that Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and head to the opposite side of the lake. But then, after dispersing the crowds, you know, picking up the litter, instead of following them, Jesus goes up a mountain to have some me, myself, and I time, which is a Trinitarian joke. <laughs> Meanwhile, a storm is picking up and getting worse by the minute. Did Jesus know that the storm was going to come? Did he plan for it happen? Make it happen? What's going on here? Here's what I think. I don't think Jesus made the storm happen, but he definitely knew it was happening. And maybe he stayed away from the boat to give the disciples a chance to figure things out on their own. And maybe, actually, they were doing quite well, considering the circumstances. Just because they were struggling doesn't mean they weren't doing a good job. When something is difficult, it's difficult. But they had been going hard for a long, long time, all night. The boat is getting tossed and turned. Our translation today said battered, but in Greek, the word is actually tortured. After hours of torture, they were tired, absolutely miserable, and probably had long lost that lunch of loaves and fishes over the side of the boat. It was the last watch of the night, between 3 to 6 a.m., which is to say it was also the darkest part of the night, a literal and symbolic measure of how things are going for them. They've exhausted all of their resources, physically, spiritually, and emotionally, these guys just wanted to not die. <laughs> and maybe even were ready to walk away from this whole thing. If, if I get out of this thing, I'm going to open up a fish taco joint on the shore, and I'm done with these Jesus shenanigans, they might be thinking. After all, it was Jesus' fault that they were in the boat, and probably Jesus' fault that the storm had kicked up. And where was Jesus? Not there. Until he was. Someone sees a strange movement happening on the surface of the water, but how soon and how clearly they see this movement isn't certain until Jesus is probably fairly close. After all, they've got things, other things immediately on, on their mind, right? Like not dying. 
But once it's clear that this thing isn't just a strange trick of moonlight on the water, um, everyone already at their wit's end starts screaming. And it's not clear to me whether the author, Matthew, is intentionally trying to be funny, but the image of 12 grown men screaming at the top of their lungs immediately reminded of those like video clips of screaming goats. Um, so Google it if you're not familiar with it. Once they stop screaming, Jesus is like, hey guys, it's me. Don't be afraid. Be encouraged. And they are frantically bailing out water, trying to get their oars to like some level of coordination. And they're like, don't be discouraged. We have literally been rowing in circles here. But Peter is somewhere else entirely. Lord, he cries out, if it's you, order me to come out on the water. And the disciples are like, what? We're in the middle of a storm here, man. And Jesus beckons him forward. And as he steps out, Peter is completely focused on that outstretched hand. And he can't help himself, could you? He looks down and realizes the impossibility of his situation. All of that peace, all of that assurance, all of that kind of focus, it, that willingness to do what Jesus is calling him to do, it drains out of him. Fear begins to flood him, and he starts sinking. His eyes are panicky. But the minute he cries out, Jesus is right there to hold him up. In our translation for today, it sounds like Jesus is scolding Peter. Oh, you man of weak faith. Other translations say, oh, you of little faith. Uh, King James says, ye of little faith. <laughs> and in both circumstances, in all these circumstances, there's kind of like this tone of admonishment that's going on, right? But then I read the message translation, and it totally shifted my perspective. In this, Jesus says, faint heart. What got into you? There's something gentle in that tone, right? That feels kind of loving, even if, as it is telling a truth. Faint heart, what got into you? And this word that gets translated as weak or little in those other versions, oligopistos, oligopistos. It doesn't actually mean weak in the ways that we think of it, as in like lacking strength. And it doesn't mean little, as in size. What Jesus is saying is that Peter's faith is inconsistent. It's not that Peter doesn't have a strong faith or even enough faith. It's that his faith is unreliable. It's infrequent. It's not about capacity. It's about consistency. And while you might be inclined to dog on Peter, right, like he's just a big doofus, but consider this. There were 12 people in that boat, and only one of them came out. Peter had a lot of faults. He was impulsive and rarely had a plan. He cared too much about what other people thought of him and was often embarrassingly extra about things. But one thing that was also true about Peter was that he was all in, even if he didn't know what that in was <laughs> or what it would require of him on the front end. When other people uh, were filled with fear or doubts, and needed kind of like a five-year strategic plan, right? Peter was ready to step out and step up, even if he came out looking a little bit foolish from time to time. And this willingness to act now and ask questions later was exactly what Jesus was looking for when he invites Peter to step out. Jesus isn't trolling Peter, and he isn't trying to catch him up. What he's doing in this moment is giving Peter the opportunity to demonstrate what he's capable of not as a test of his faith, but rather as an invitation to level up, 
to make it past the fear that threatens to drown him and exchange it for courage. Peter gets it wrong a lot. We see this all throughout the Gospels. And if, you're not, and if you're not paying close attention, it feels like he's a foil kind of for all of our ids, right? But there, here's the thing about him. Peter is so frequently the foolish one because he's so often the only one willing to try. He's the only one willing to put himself out there. He's the only one who is consistently willing to put himself out there and go big or go home. And if he's going to show up, he's going to show out, right? Even if he doesn't get it right every time. And this is exactly what Jesus needs. Not someone who's perfect, but rather folks who are willing to get out of the boat. Who are willing to rise to whatever occasion is leading to an outstretched hand. Who are willing to trade their doubt for trust. Not certainty, right? Doubt for trust. And fear for courage. Jesus needed Peter to be freed from fear so that he could be freed for courage. Peter was the rock on which the church would be built. And the church could not be founded on fear. Jesus needed courage and consistency of faith. He needed Peter to develop this discipline within himself, right? To keep his eyes fixed on Jesus, to not falter in his focus or waver in his commitment, and to remember, remember that in the moment when he will need Jesus the most, Jesus will be right there by his side. This was more than just a moment on a lake in a storm. It was a memory that Peter would be able to carry with him and recall in moments when he needed to be reminded that with Jesus, his courage could be greater than his fear. Have you ever had a time where you've had to embody courage? What fear did you have to overcome? What, what did it look like for you to embody that courage in your own life? So I want to invite you to take a moment to reflect on this. And if you're comfortable, I'd like to invite you to share about it with someone next to you. When is the time that you've embodied courage in the face of fear. Reflect on that, and if you're comfortable, share that with someone next to you. I'll give you a few minutes.
give you a few more seconds. God is not inviting us to be perfect. God is inviting us to be faithful. God is not even inviting us to be fearful, fearless. God is inviting us to be courageous. And when we share our stories of courage and fear, we're reminded that we actually aren't on our own in this, right? But that we actually have a deep well of courage in one another to draw from. To live not on our own and drawing from our own buckets, but from our collective capacity together so that we might be consistent in our faith, not just because we ourselves are consistent, but because together we can encourage each other forward. Now, over these past few weeks, we've been reflecting on what it takes and looks like to be truly free for ourselves, for one another, and for the world that we live in. We've talked about pride in the face of shame. We've talked about hope, overcoming despair. We've talked about um, uh, failure uh, as a way to embrace our wholeness over the anxiety that comes with our failure. And today, we're talking about courage in the face of fear. Now, as we close out our series today, I want to invite you and challenge you to wonder how it is that God might be calling you to get free. How is God inviting you, challenging you, strengthening you, stirring you up to get free? And how might that work of freedom actually empower you to free others? The frustrating and beautiful thing about God's kingdom is that this work of freedom is not a solo endeavor, right? We don't just get free on our own um, and, you know, see you later to all the suckers, right? <laughs> no, it is work that we do together. As the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. put it so long ago, we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Whether we like it or not, we are bound up with one another. In other words, none of us are free until all of us are free. None of us are free until all of us are free. Do you want to be free? Really, do you want to be free? Are you willing to do the work that that requires of you? There's more to the list. We just only had five weeks. Are you willing to do the work then? That is the gratitude work of faith by helping others to get free. Faint heart, what got into you? Jesus is out here in the middle of our storms with an outreach, outstretched hand waiting for us. All you have to do is get out of the boat. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that you invite us because of us and in spite of us to be participants in your work of liberation within ourselves and among one another. We ask that you would help us to be people of courage, people who are willing to do the work that is required to be free in all of who we are, all of who you created us to be, and help us to create spaces that invite
pray this in the name of your son, Jesus.